With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point headman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! It's Friday. That's right. Sometimes I get lost with where we are in the week because of all of this isolation. But it's interesting, E. We always have an idea of when Friday rolls around. Even when you were a kid, Friday was always a big moment. Although once you start working in, in this type of field, Friday feels like a Monday because everybody's playing on the weekends. But we always have a a fondness for a Friday, don't we? And and that's what today is. And I'm, I'm looking forward to today's show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, Fridays, uh, they don't hold the same meaning for me nowadays, though, because, um, you know, it, it it used to mean marching season. My Friday night footballs is my son's in band, so I knew when that Friday was, so I knew it was going to be a busy Friday night in the fall. Uh, but then there's so much hockey that takes place on Saturday. My weekends were probably like Mondays and, yeah. and just Mondays. Uh, even if we got to that, if there wasn't a hockey game on a Monday. so, But certainly during this isolation period, yes. uh, Fridays are monumental because uh, it's the end of another week here on the show. And lately, it's meant that we have a Lightning player on the show, and uh, we will continue that today with Blake Coleman uh, a little bit later on in the show. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, has a, a new addition to the family Probably during this time, while a lot of people were anxious and nervous, and rightfully so, there was uh, another report that came out e- earlier today that the uh, hospitality and leisure industry um, lost 7.7 million jobs, uh, 47% of total positions. Think about that uh, this past month. Uh, the vast majority of the industry's layoffs were in food service, where the government said 5.5 million chefs, waiters, and cashiers lost jobs. That is an astounding number. So there's a lot of people who are kind of like, all right, I mean, you know, they're panicking and, and they're going through some really tough times, and there's no doubt about it. But if you're somebody in Blake's situation where you have a an infant – uh, into the new world, and typically you'd be playing around this time and traveling. He's had two months to be with his daughter and his wife, which is that's a blessing for him it and is. his family. And I, I think you know you try and look for positives in this really weird time that we live in. I've got to think, and I, I want to ask Blake about that. You've got to think for him, it's been it's probably been nice. And if you think about the way his world was up to, uh, turned upside down from the trade in New Jersey. Uh, two weeks after the trade, his, his yeah. wife gives uh, gives birth to the baby. He he missed a game uh, to be with her when when the baby was born. Uh, so this, as crazy as it seems, and it's it's off the chart crazy when we're gonna kind of put it in this context. This has probably been a bit of a calming situation for him personally in an otherwise chaotic situation. Yeah. So we're gonna talk to Blake coming up. Also, we're going to replay the interview we had with Kevin Allen from USA Today, formerly of USA Today, I should say, a uh, longtime hockey writer, and uh, we were fortunate to talk to him the other day for an extended period of time. We touched on a number of things, and we're looking forward looking forward to that. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we should have a, a really good show planned for you today. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can, at Greg Linelli, 
uh, at Eric underscore Erlinson at Bolts Radio. Hit us up. There is a question I want to get to from Frank. He's been um, listening to the show recently. He had a question about the new norm coming up here. If we can get to it today, we will. If not, we'll talk about it maybe um, on Monday. E, you sent Steve and I over something. Before we get into some players and the whole travel situation and how this could transpire, before we get into that topic, you sent me over a really interesting tweet. And I wanted to maybe start with that because it may alleviate some of the issues. I don't know necessarily for this year, but down the road, particularly for an outdoor game here in Tampa, where the ice wouldn't be an issue. And it's a company, I believe, called Nice Rink, where it looks like they've developed synthetic ice. Yeah, we know that synthetic ice is a thing. Um, we're not sure where the technology is on it. Uh, I know that the Lightning have a little mini rink uh, just for shooting um, inside Amelie Arena that has this synthetic ice on it. We know Nikita Kucherov has some th- synthetic ice in his garage where he can work on his shot uh, and be on skates. And that's I think that's an important thing here is that they can be on skates, and it's probably not quite like it. But in this particular video, what is interesting is that they have 100 feet long of ice. The guy in the video takes five strides and he's able to go the entire 100 feet so if anybody can find it again it's at nice rink uh is the twitter handle and uh seeing this it opens up a lot of interesting possibilities you know we were kind of joking around uh, before we came on the show but uh how about hockey at the beach is that possible with this type of ice uh, outdoor game here in tampa we've talked about that that's certainly something that uh, lightning owner jeff vinnick uh, has been pushing for the commissioner, Gary Bettman, every time they talk. Uh, he lobbied for an all-star game. He got the all-star game, and now he's lobbying for an outdoor game. And as we tend to see what uh, Jeff Vinnick uh, pushes for, he usually finds a way to get the right answer that he wants. Uh, so is this a yeah. possible solution for that? I, I don't know. You know, it, it But it is kind of cool to look at and kind of speculate out all over a little bit because the guy is literally on ice skates, on the synthetic ice, and you, skating 100 feet down the line. And you know what that would do, E? And something like this to really catch on is going to take years. We understand that. But that I think that really revolutionizes how many people participate playing hockey. Absolutely. Because now you could go into communities who, let's say, can't afford a rink or can't afford the ice time. And, I, again, I have no idea. We're actually going to get this guy on, I think, at some point, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, to talk about the process of making this, how much does it cost, and everything involved in something like that. But this now, you could take this synthetic ice, you can go into different communities, and you can get kids who may not have the opportunity before because there's just not a rink, or they live in a state where the weather doesn't allow it, and it's it's hard to get the facilities to make it happen. You get some synthetic ice, now, you know, maybe cuts down the cost of some things because we know that's one of the draw the, the drawbacks of, of playing hockey is how expensive it is. Maybe this is an efficient way expense-wise where you can have some kids start to participate in playing hockey. And then down the road, you know, you could come up with leagues that use synthetic ice if you wanted to to grow the game. And to your point, which I think is is maybe the best one when we start talking about the NHL, I don't think it's going to replace sheets of ice. But you could certainly, if something, imagine if, if something happened with the ice at an NHL arena and you just had no backup plan instead of maybe canceling a game. Maybe every league, every team has synthetic ice as a backup. And depending on how long it takes to get that up and running, you could have a game there. Or for an outdoor game, 
in a in a hot climate, this could be that option. Yeah, and, and, and to follow up on two of your points there, uh, the first one, the, the community rinks that are just here in the Tampa Bay area. Yeah. We, we know that the Lightning have opened up several uh, uh, you know, outdoor rinks for street hockey. You know? Sure. Well, now you could put you know, this synthetic ice in there Absolutely. and open that up and, and open up the game and get more kids um, on skates. I, I think that would be a, a game changer in terms of the grassroots level uh, especially in states like this, and look, we're we're seeing some kids, you know, play their youth hockey here and go on. And you know, the Lightning uh, High School Hockey League just had an alum drafted into the OHL uh, about uh, last month, I think it was, is when that happened. And you know, so it, it, imagine the opening up that door to potential athletes to to be in that situation. And the other one about a backup ice, well, that it kind of does hit close to home because um, you know the Lightning. Well, the Tampa Bay area did try and pull off an exhibition game one time over at what is now Tropicana Field and what was a Suncoast Dome back at that time, and they had to cancel the exhibition game. It was a preseason game because they couldn't get the ice to work. So uh, there's your backup plan, right? I don't know how quickly you could put something in like that if if the ice just wasn't working or whatever, uh, but it's, it's certainly something that you could have in your back pocket. Yeah, I think that's something that's really fascinating. It's technology continues to develop at a rapid pace, even during these times. And if we can get this guy on uh, at Nice Rink, then I think that would be a fascinating discussion. So we'll, we'll effort to do that here moving forward. Hey, the last uh, point I want to get to before we go to break, I- I'm seeing more and more athletes speak out regarding certain places, certain hubs where they'd have to go and play, assuming the, the league comes back and does something like this, where there are four or five locations where teams would travel and maybe they stay there for an extended period of time to get games in because of the coronavirus and just the logistics of everything. And I'm seeing a lot of players more so now come out and talk about how they don't like that because they're going to be away from their family and it's just not something they want to do. And I don't know if I speak for every fan in that situation or every analyst in this situation. Certainly, I want to get your thoughts on it. I, I kind of am surprised by it because I look at it and say, one, it's your job. And two, it's not like they're asking you to go overseas and stay there for a year and you can never see your family again. You've had a chance to see your family the last two months with everybody on lockdown, I'm assuming. Not everybody, but I'm assuming. But if this is the case, if that's the behavior, and apparently Garrett Bettman is listening and and is taking this all in, and maybe he's softening his stance on this. If you don't want to go play, then maybe we need to talk about taking away your paycheck. (laughs) Well, I... I I don't think so. Uh, in some aspects, look, I totally understand it. Uh, you know, I get three kids here at home. I get four kids total. Of course, you want to be around them as much as possible. And you know, but uh, when, especially when you sign up as a as a pro athlete, I mean, it's your job. It's well, a it's your job, and b you understand that there's travel involved. Yes. And you know, players are gone. You know, sometimes there's two week trips. You know, the the Sweden trip, the team was gone for two weeks. You know, and uh, I'm sure some family members did come over to be part of that, and, and there certainly is that. But at the end of the day, it, it is your job. It, it, you're, you're being asked to go perform. Because I know, 
I know that if I told Steve Verznick right now, you know what, I don't think, I'm not comfortable, you know, doing the show next week. Okay, you're not going to get paid. Okay, I'll be there. Never mind. I'll I'll, I'll be there. Don't well, worry, Greg. I'm, I've, I've got you covered. You're getting um, paid? <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I told, like, I, I see, I see the player side of this. You, you don't want to be isolated away from your family. And this isn't baseball where they were talking about doing it for maybe four or five months to, to complete a baseball season. You know, if you're fortunate enough, if you're, if you're, if you're away from your family for two months in this situation, that means you're in the Stanley Cup final in my mind. And isn't that what you want as well? Isn't that a big part of who you are as a professional and what you chase and what you go after? Um, you know, so I, I, I get the, the, the personal side of it. I'm not, I'm not going to downplay the, a lot of the players' feelings on this. But at the end of the day, you're, you're being paid to do something. And especially in a situation, Greg, where the league and the PA is in partnership, this is a partnership. And they both need find ways to recover revenue that's been lost. And I think that both parties should be very interested in finding any way they can to get this done. Now, I guess, the you know, according to a Pierre Lebrun tweet that uh, the commissioner uh, spoke to the governors about some of the players' concerns on this, and they're going to maybe be sensitive to it and try and find ways to maybe make it work. I don't know if they can bring their families with them. I saw a letter that the city of Vancouver sent to the NHL as they um, put their bid in to be one of these potential host cities, and they did say something about accommodating the players and their families. So if, if that's the case, it's going down to. But I, I'm kind of with you. If your choice is you don't get paid, you don't play, or you play and you get paid, I'm on board with, look, you're paid to do this. It, it's part of who you are, yeah. and it is your profession. I mean, a lot of people would, would die to be in their positions because they're not getting paid. There are a lot of people who've lost their jobs, and I think, I think it speaks to how to. Uh, again, you know, there are a lot of people that say sometimes athletes are out of touch with normal people, and typically they are. Sometimes they are. I think hockey players have a pretty good grasp of how things are going. There are a lot of people who are not working right now, and these guys, along with the other athletes, are getting paid a lot of money. And the way technology is today, heck, we've been using Zoom. You can do FaceTime. You can see your family. It's not like you're not going to see them for two straight months, yeah. I mean, especially if you have a new member to your family, those are issues, or maybe there's a medical condition. I know Devin Dubnik's wife had some obviously medical issues and you know, he's the one that spoke out recently. Michael Russo from The Athletic had the article there. And I, I get that, but again, um, it's not a perfect situation. It would be no different if Devin Dubnik had to go on the road for two weeks. Now, maybe the, the Wild would sit there and say, stay home. And we'll we'll deal with it. Then that's the decision the Minnesota Wild have to make. But I don't think that should be the reason everybody in the NHL should not try and accommodate that particular scenario if it's the way if it's where the NHL wants to go. There are a lot of people that are making sacrifices today. It's not you're never going to see your family again. You will, and you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. You know. Yep. yep. Perspective. I agree with that. Perspective. Yep. Uh, a couple of quick news items to pass along before we uh, get to Kevin Allen. Uh, I'm seeing Dave Padnota, who we had on last week, uh, letting us know that the Ontario government has announced that uh, pro sports teams have been cleared to open up their facilities to the athletes pending league approval. So there's one hurdle uh, in terms of Toronto uh, being one of these hub cities. And then also today, uh, Brandon Leipzig, uh, who uh, hit the news uh, in a bad way the other day with some yeah. insensitive 
remarks that were made public from his uh, direct messages. And please don't ever think that private messages are actually private on social media, but he has been placed on unconditional waivers for the purpose of terminating his contract. Uh, so be careful on social media. You never know who's watching or how stuff is going to come out. All right, uh, stick around. We're going to listen to Kevin Allen, who was with us earlier this week, a longtime writer for USA Today, now doing some work at HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, Kevin uh, was able to catch up with us earlier this week, so we'll listen to that when we come back right after this. The hockey world might be on pause, but Eric Erlinson and Greg Linelli aren't. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I'm Eric Erlinson alongside Greg Linelli. And don't forget, we've got Lightning forward Blake Coleman coming up in our next segment. So stick around to hear from one of the newest members of the Tampa Bay Lightning and see what he's been up to during this pause in the NHL action. But uh, right now, we were able to, as I mentioned, catch up with Kevin Allen, who had some very insightful comments and some insights into what's going on and what could take place down the road with uh, his experience covering the NHL. Uh, so this was Kevin Allen from earlier this week. You know, Kevin, it's it's a question everybody's asking. You know, where does the NHL, where do a lot of these sports leagues go from here as you kind of navigate your way through all of this? I mean, where we stand today, is it is it pretty pretty clear that we can at least say that the league certainly wants to finish this year in some capacity? How they go about doing it still remains to be seen. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's clear that the intention of the NHL is to not only to uh, finish this season, but to pick up where it left off. And there are a variety of reasons for that, um, uh, even though everybody accepts that, that they're going to have to play without fans. But there is some financial consideration that goes along with sponsorship and uh, fulfilling their television, local contracts, and so forth, which will add some monies to the coffer. But there's also kind of a fairness issue to it. Uh, I know that uh, in just talking to people around the league, there's been a lot of discussion is, look, you know, everybody signed up for 82 games and um, the teams that are on the bubble to make the playoffs, like, you know, if you're a New York Ranger uh, player, you feel like, you know, we're coming hard and, and uh, you know, we're getting better as the season goes along. And, you know, given a full 82 games, we could make the playoffs. But where we left off, they were not in the playoff, uh, you know, position. So I think... Uh, because of the uh, the fairness issue too, I think there is a, uh, a real drumbeat to make sure that there's at least some chance for the for the teams that were on the bubble that aren't in to to make a you know final push. It may, you know even if that means we'll go to a 76 game or a 78 game schedule where everybody will play you know that many games, um, but they're going to try to do something. Or maybe it'll even be a just a 24 team you know, playoff uh, pool, which has also been suggested. But they're going to try to, you know, kind of accommodate the teams on the bubble and give them, uh, you know, some chance to sort of squeeze in uh, to the postseason. Kevin, how, how might that look like? Because, it's, you know, it, there's 
we've talked a lot about all these scenarios that are potentially out there. If the league is intent on finishing the regular season in some capacity, you obviously can't go by what the schedule was. You can't finish out those nine, ten, whatever number of games that teams have left on what their original schedule was because they're just, you know, they're bouncing all over the place in terms of who they have to play. So if they want to finish and get to a number, say seventy six or, you know, seventy eight, whatever it might be, how might that look in terms of who has to play who just to get to that number? Well, there's been some discussion uh, about, uh, you know, bringing, you know, teams in the division, you know, all in one spot and playing, you know, games right from there to finish off the, you know, the season. In other words, uh, you know, you bring the Metropolitan teams to one location, you know, maybe it's Carolina or wherever, and then those teams, there'll be multiple games a day and they'll sort of finish out their schedule. And, you know, the argument being that, look, you know, if you can't win against your other division opponents, then you shouldn't have made the playoffs in the first place. So, they, you know, that would be sort of the argument for doing it that way. But that's far from certain. And, you know, the one element I didn't bring up, which is most important, is um, all of this, of course, is dependent upon what happens uh, with the COVID-19 out in the landscape. Like, all this will be... Uh, um, uh, relevant if if we see you know a, a, you know another surge of the virus uh, you know around the country as we you know start to open up so uh, but nothing has been finalized like you know every every time uh, um, somebody says to me well I you know I've heard this and I've heard that and I said well you know there are a lot of things being kicked around but I'm pretty confident that no one. Um, from the Players Association or from the NHL is close to making a final decision. Right now, I think they're just looking at a variety of options, and all the things we've mentioned have, uh, you know, are probably things that are probably at the top of the list, but, you know, who knows what it'll look like. And a lot will depend on when they feel comfortable opening up, although, you know, I am hearing from people around the league that uh, everyone is operating as if, you know, they're going to be able to, um, players are going to be able in small uh, groups of maybe three or fewer to show up at the training facilities of their teams and work out starting, uh, you know, later this month. And, and then at some point, uh, um, you know, uh, either later this month or starting next month, we might see a training camp. Um, and uh, you're going to have to have that. I mean, we're, we're actually going to, it's going to be kind of fun. We're going to turn back the clock, I think to the days of like the, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s when guys are going to show up out of shape because there are guys <laughs> out of shape right now. You know, it's funny, yeah. particularly the younger guys. I've talked to some younger guys, and, you know, they live in condos where there are no workout facilities, and they don't own any facilities. You know, a veteran player, you know, might have uh, um, a training apparatus in his home because he's lived there for six or eight years. He's built himself a gym, and, you know, he, he can work out, but younger players don't have that. So we may be in a position where when we get to training camp, the veteran players will be in a little better shape than the younger players. Phil Kessel, watch out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about Phil. I'm not sure Phil has a workout <laughs> in his uh, house. I'm not sure. Kevin, what happens when players start testing positive when play is eventually underway? I think it'd be very hard to shut down the league again, considering what's at stake financially. Is this part of the reason why we're seeing different cities entertain multiple teams, not only because the virus maybe hasn't spread there uh, as much, 
but also yeah. to the medical facilities that may be at these cities. Yeah, no, and that to me that's the question. I wrote a uh, you know a column basically saying, look, you know, we can talk all we want about you know where it's going to be and what it's going to look like and how the logistics are going to work and whether or not we can create a, a safe zone, a sort of a biosphere type existence for players so they can all stay within the bubble and not venture out and uh, you know be susceptible to. Um, contracting uh, the virus uh, on the outside. We can talk about all that, but really it comes down to just the question you posed. What happens when players, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say when, because I think it's likely that somebody's going to test positive or multiple players. And I think that is the question. And that's the one that um, I was surprised, but Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, has already been on the record as saying, look, a a single test or even multiple tests would not mean necessarily that we would shut down. And I think what he implied is, is that we're, the circumstances will dictate. And I, I think I understand what he means by that. Um, you know, they're going to test regularly. Now, whether that's every day or every couple of days, um, you know, I don't know. but And I don't think they know. But they're going to test regularly. So, you know what if what if it's, what if we get through the regular season and we're in the playoffs and uh, uh, the you know the uh, uh, Lightning are playing the Boston Bruins at at some point and you know two Bruins uh, test positive and so they're immediately moved. Well, we know because we've all been addicted to television that you know by the time you show symptoms, you've already been. Uh, uh, contagious. So we know that it's even though you pull them out, it's already too late. Uh, so they could have multiple players going on. And we also know because we've seen every year what happens when the flu runs around the league that you get it from physical contact. And anytime you've ever seen a slow motion um, video of contact in football or hockey, we know what happens and what flies out of people's mouths. So you can understand why you know, it, it would be contagious. So I, I think you've hit on the number one question, and it's one that I'm, I'm not sure anybody feels comfortable about. I'm confident that both the Players Association and the NHL will be um, um, conferring with, you know, the CDC and everyone else. But I think it's possible that we could get in it. That's why I'm nervous about it. Like, like everyone else, I want to see this. But I'm nervous because I could just see – you know, a playoff series suddenly devolving to having players and, and numerous players on both teams, you know, coming down, testing positive for the virus. And, uh, um, you know, then what happens? They're going to have to make a harsh decision. Like, I don't think you can rule out that we could start up again and then we'd have to, you know, just go down again because we'll end up with, you know, maybe one or multiple playoff series being impacted too severely by the virus. And, you know, I don't think you can, you know, I think Bill Daly is right. I don't think you can say, well, if we get seven people or nine people or three people, I think you're going to have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. And, you know, maybe you you stop and halt the series for three days and see if anybody else comes down with it. I mean, I, I think they're going to end up playing it uh, – uh, you know, by year once they get going. But, you know, I think their hope is is that they can sort of keep everyone sheltered uh, except when they're playing games. And, I, you know, I'm a little nervous about that as well. I mean, we, 
you know, trying to keep uh, young, healthy people who live a very active lifestyle in one single hotel without venturing out. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> You've been around the game. What, what do you think the odds of, of that happening are? Well, and on top of that, you know, the players, they're still around support staff, right? If you're in hotels or people who have to run the hotels, yeah, people yeah. who have to serve you know what? food. You know, I've heard two, two different versions of, the, of that, Eric. I've heard that those people will just be um, hotel employees and, you know, they'll go home. But I've also heard people say, oh, no, 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 no. They're going to, they're going to, those people are going to be, you know, we're going to bring chefs in and they're going to live at the hotel. They're going to live in the biosphere too. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's been settled yet how that's going to work. But uh, you're on the right track, certainly, when you're wondering, uh, <laughs> well, you know, what's going to happen. Well, and I, and I know, and again, we're joined here by Kevin Allen, who's covered the NHL since 1986. And, um, you know, Serie A, the Italian league, and of course, you know how hard. Italy has been right. hit. You know they're they're starting to get their soccer league kind of back on track. And one of the things I've been reading about what they're trying to do is that, and it, testing is the biggest thing, and the availability of testing has to be the big thing. I know I've I've seen Bill Daly on record saying that you know they're not going to take tests away from people who who need it. To, you know to test. Uh, asymptomatic and and potentially clean athletes on a regular basis if it's not available but in italy that's what they're planning on doing they are planning on testing every trainer every coach every player after every uh, practice after every game so they're going to be tested on a daily basis to, to find out where things are i don't know if we can get to that point uh, at least here in north america unless the tests are readily available but that is one way that italy is looking at tackling getting their soccer season back on track yeah, no, and I, and I do think that that's what the the plan is here. Um, you know, I don't think it's been finalized. And when I've asked about it, uh, uh, the people around the league, they all say just what I said, which is, well, you know, we'd, we'd hope to do it every day, but maybe it's every two days. I think it all comes down to the availability of tests. And the one thing that really helps, um, you know, professional sports teams in this situation, a lot of people just think it's just because of the celebrity status of players. But it goes beyond that, as you know, Eric. You know they have long-standing relationships with, uh, with medical the medical community. You know, and that's why you know their access to that is 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 quicker. They know who to turn to. Um, you know, they have relationships with hospitals and doctors and such. So, um, I think they will be able to get the the amount of tests that uh, everyone feels is necessary, just because. You know, they have uh, relationships with uh, with people who can make that happen. Well, Kevin, what's the new norm, in your opinion, for the league moving forward? It's one thing to put procedures in place in the short run, and I think everyone will be agreeable to that. But what about long term? Are we going to be testing players, coaches, and fans every time there's a game two years from now? Well, I, I, here's my best guess. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in, uh, 2022, 23, but I'm pretty confident that this is going to be at a minimum, a two year disruption, um, two season disruption for all professional sports leagues. You know, let's just look at hockey since that's what we're talking about. But, you know, we don't even know whether we'll be able to start the season, even though if that season, like right now, I think in Gary Bettman's head, he's counting on starting the uh, starting next season. So, um, you know, 2000, uh, uh, the, you know, that we're going to complete this season and then we'll do the next one. He's starting uh, counting that and starting that in December. 
okay, and still squeezing in his 82 games. But even in December, we're not sure we're going to be able to have fans. You know, like how willing, even if, if we allow fans to come back, how willing are people going to be, particularly people my age um, or people with, um, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions or, you know, underlying medical issues? How willing are we going to be to slide into a church pew or to go to a movie theater or to go to a crowded bar or a restaurant? I, I don't think any of us are going to be eager to do that. Um, and I think that's going to cause disruption, even if, you know, we have, um, you know, permission to kind of go in and do that. Plus, because of the economic disaster that we've, we now have, you know, the usual corporate sponsors that you turn to, you know, they're, they may not be so giving um, for NHL teams and, you know, people that normally spend money for sponsorships and, and uh, advertising, you know, you know, may not do that. They may not buy as many season tickets, if any at all. So I, I think this is going to be totally disruptive um, for a couple of seasons. It's going to play havoc with the salary cap. I think Donald Fear and Gary Bettman are going to have to sit down and uh, figure out sort of a temporary solution because, you know, where the salary cap should be um, probably would put teams in a position um, that, um, you know, they'd have to get rid of several players. So there's going to, there's going to have to be some sort of summit between the league and the player association to sort of resolve how this is, um, all going to work. And, um, you know, I, I think there will be a, you know, there's always been the dressing room in professional sports and in all sports, really, um, it's, it's, it's a giant Petri dish. And we've already had an issue for years of the flu. It just runs through both the NBA and the NHL. And, uh, and you know, we had mumps a couple of seasons ago uh, that, that, you know, we had issues with with uh, a couple or three teams as well. So I think there'll be a greater emphasis now placed on, um, you know, making sure that you have conditions that are conducive to keeping everyone as healthy as possible. It's impossible in that environment to, um, not have uh, social contact, but I think, you know, everyone knows that we can do a better job of it. So, you know, just like, um, it wasn't that long ago that they, you know, started saying, okay, everybody's got to have their own water bottle. You can't share water bottles. There'll be a lot more moves like that. And I think you'll see, uh, um, everybody sort of taking stock of how they do things. And is there a way we can do this where we don't, uh, you know, put our players at risk. But I, I would count on a two-season, at a minimum, uh, disruption uh, to the NHL and, you know, what's going to happen economically for the teams, uh, what happens with their fans, uh, their season tickets. You know, there's going to be some issues that uh, it's going to take some time to recover from. Well, just a real follow-up to that, E, with, uh, with Kevin Allen here. I- I'm curious, for that reason alone, do you think, because we know this has had an probably more of an economic destruction to the country than just the virus itself. And there's so many people out there who are unemployed that want to get back to work. And I'm wondering, Kevin, is that more of a reason to trickle these people out here and let people get back to work and just hope that people are smart and understand that if you're sick, you stay home. There's probably going to be more people that do work from home, but at some point, we do have to get people back out there because the economic destruction to all of this is going to be long, longer than the actual virus itself. 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds a lot more like a political question than a, a sports question, but I think it's it's a question that has to be answered, and I think it depends on whether you're you or me. Um, you know, as an older American, someone in the high uh, uh, risk group, um, you know, I, I tend to lean toward the idea of, you know, let's keep this closed down a little bit and try to um, – uh, do the best we can to keep the, the death numbers uh, down where I think if you're younger and you say, look, we, you know, we lose a lot of people to a lot of different things, um, you know, car accidents and flu and so forth. And, you know, this is just one of the, the, uh, the threats of, of life. And um, that, you know, the argument that I hear from, uh, from people is, is look, the, the economic, pain that we've imposed on the country also um, uh, produces uh, mortality uh, for a variety of different reasons and in terms of, uh, you know, what happens to families and stuff when, uh, you know, they're out of work and, and so forth. And, you know, all those arguments are valid. And I think it's a very, very, very difficult uh, uh, question. Uh, people throw into the mix uh, herd immunity as well, which, you know, the more people who get it, uh, um, you know, you sort of develop this, uh, you know, kind of group thing. We all kind of know, have heard a little bit about that in the last, you know, few months or, or so. So to me, what it comes down to, I think everything will be um, cured, for the lack of a better word, uh, when we get a vaccine. And now we're hearing um, Fauci, of course, uh, said last night in an interview that I saw this morning that uh, he was is hopeful that the usual 18-month wait for a vaccine might be expedited, that we might see someone something by January. I, I think that will um, clear up a lot for the sports leagues. When there's a vaccination, when uh, you know someone like myself, um, who you know qualifies as a senior citizen, um, even though I I'm still still working and don't see myself as retired. Um, you know, when I can go to my local drugstore and get a vaccine, just like I can for the flu every year or shingles or any of those other ones, uh, pneumonia, uh, once I can do that, then I think um, that'll um, probably put the sports league sort of back on course. So because you'll have people that, you know, they won't be worried about going to uh um, you know, sporting events again. And I think that's important. I mean, the economic aspect of it is, is major to be sure, but you also have, can't have people afraid to go to large gatherings. Um, and I think, you know, we, we do. I think we have a lot of people that are concerned about it. And I think the other thing that's lost on this too, it's not the number of deaths, it's the hideous nature of these deaths as well that goes beyond, you know, dying alone um, and being, uh, in, in, you know, your, your loved one's not allowed in the hospital uh, and not breathing, like all of that has just added to, you know, the ugliness of this pandemic. Um, you know, it's not just the raw numbers, it's the anecdotal uh, evidence that we see about how uh, 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 terrible this really is and the stories from the front lines with the, the medical personnel. So I think this is a very complicated thing um, for sports leagues to sort of sort out. And uh, that's why I think they're going to be dealing with it for a while. And Kevin Allen joins us, longtime NHL uh, writer for USA Today. Now find his work at HockeyBuzz.com. And uh, Kevin, we we were been waiting for some potential news of the NHL draft being held maybe as soon as next month, even with no 
clear-cut answers on when or if the 2019-20 season might look like. And you've covered your fair share of NHL drafts in, in your career. How, how odd would it be, and how can the league make this work? Because we know when Gary Bettman says, hey, what do you think about this idea, there's probably a good chance that this is going to come to fruition, <laughs> that there might yeah. be a draft in June despite no way of having any conclusion to the season they're drafting from. Yeah, well, this is going to sound a little bit of a cop-out, but I understand why the league wants to do this, um, but I don't like it. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'm bothered most by, by you know, I, there's all sorts of arguments against it. You know, the fact we don't really know, um, you know, how the standings will unfold fold because we haven't um, – played out the season and they want to play out the season. You know, it's not like it's a foregone conclusion that we're just going to move to the playoffs. They want to play this. And I think there are trades that are dependent upon where people pick and that plays a role in it. And what they want to avoid at all costs is, is someone to uh, end up winning the lottery, getting Lafreniere, who's a difference maker, who will be the number one pick and then in making the playoffs. And so in order to avoid that, um, they want to roll back the clock a little bit and go back to the old way we used to do the draft. Like right now, you know, there are three lottery winners, if we can call them that. We, we draw for number one, number two, and number three. And um, they want to do away with that. And we want to go back to the old way where there'll be one winner and they can only move up four spots. So only five teams have a chance at Lafreniere. Now, that's what bothers me about all this. Like, there are a lot of fan bases that have been sort of counting on this chance of getting in the Lafreniere uh, sweepstakes, and now um, they don't have, they're not going to have a shot. Uh, it's just going to be sort of five teams, if that's the way they do it. Now, they haven't finalized or said how they're doing it, but that seems to be, you know, the rumor. So I, I, I think it's... You know, the reason they want to do it is, is that the NHL has been out of everyone's minds and they saw that the NFL draft, I watched it gavel to gavel. So I get this, you know, it, it was a hit. It was a winner. People are starved for sports news. They want to put the NHL out there and hope that they can sort of uh, create interest in their young prospects who are going to be, you know, great in three or four years and um, get people thinking about the NHL again. It's a, you know, definitely a, uh, a PR move. Uh, nobody uh, is going to NHL.com or to any website that, that emphasizes hockey right now, and they want to sort of get get it moving again and get it, uh, you know, create some excitement. So I do understand it, but I think there are more problems, um, uh, more problems than benefits of this. So I'd I prefer they just wait and try to squeeze it in. You know, uh, they've said like, well, we just can't do it. Logistics are not going to allow us to do that, but. You and I know, Eric, that, you know, the way it runs now is, is that the Stanley Cup final ends. We run to the Vegas to do the awards and then yep. we hustle over to the draft uh, and, you know, do it all. And so it all seems crammed in. So what's it matter even if we're ending the season in November if we've got to cram in a draft before we start the next season? My last question for you, Kevin, is what do you think is a bigger issue for the players right now, if you had to guess or anybody you talked to, playing with no vaccine for the virus or not skating for over three months and then playing high, intense games? It seems like both are a real issue, one physical and maybe one more mental. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. I, and I don't have a good answer for that. I think it depends on who you are. Um, um, probably for the younger players, um, I would guess it's the conditioning level. Um, and for the older players, I think they're concerned about uh, the impact on their families. And I think that's what's going on. I, on a podcast, I had Steve Barlin, an agent on, and he said, you know, among his clients, um, there was um, a lot of conflicting opinions about uh, whether, um, you know, what we should do here, whether we should play at all. And the idea of going in a uh, and sheltering in place with your team while your um, spouse is at home taking care of your family, um, that's bothersome to some. You know, we saw that with baseball as well. Mike Trout came out and said, you know, my wife's pregnant. I, I don't want to leave her and go and live with, uh, you know, everybody from uh, baseball. And, uh, um, you know, Kershaw said the same thing. He was not uh, uh, looking forward to that as well. And so I think that that issue is sort of hasn't been resolved yet. I think there are still, you know, players that are trying to decide. And then what happens? What if a player draws a line in the sand and says, you know, I'm just not going, uh, you know, I'm staying home. So, you know, there, this is this is a very, very complicated thing. And one you know, the other thing I wrote a story on last week that doesn't get brought out enough is, is that, look, it's not likely that um, any player um, would have uh, a life-threatening bout of this illness. Uh, it just doesn't happen very often unless, you know, by, by definition, athletes are young, healthy um, players. But we have a lot of folks in the NHL, including four general managers who are over 70, we have a coach, uh, Bonas in Dallas, who's 65. Joel Quenville uh, is over 60. We have, you know, a lot of people, even Gary Bettman is 67. You know, are we going to allow all those people uh, to come to games and be in the biosphere? Is Bonas going to coach? Are the GMs going to be there? Um, you know, we're putting them at uh, pretty high risk. So it's, you know, all this is complicated, and uh, I don't think there is a simple solution, and that's why we don't have any idea what's going to happen because I think everyone knows all of these elements and they're trying to factor in everything. All right. Kevin Allen joining us here on the show, longtime reporter and uh, of the NHL. Uh, it's always fun to catch up with somebody who's been in the league as long as Kevin certainly has some reservations about, I think, opening things up too quickly. And I think he's curious as are we to see how this all transpires moving forward. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to get perspective from somebody who has been around the game as long as he has and, and think of the different eras that uh, Kevin has been able to cover from starting in the mid-'80s all the way up until now and the changes. So certainly he has a great perspective on things and how a lot of the thinkers in the NHL circles kind of gauge things, right? So, uh, yeah, great to hear from Kevin. It was great to catch up with him. I've known him for, for a long time. He was the one-time president of the PHWA, which is the Writers Association that I was a member of uh, for so long. Uh, so, again, just great, great to catch up with Kevin and get his perspective. Looking forward to catching up with this guy. Blake Coleman is up next right here on the Power Lunch on Lighting Power Play. Craig Linelli and Eric Erlinson are the perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, welcome back to Power Power Play. I am Eric Erlinson alongside Greg Linelli, and we are pleased right now to be joined by Lightning Forward Blake Coleman. And uh, Blake, we appreciate you taking out a few minutes of your time with us here. And I guess the first thing we have to ask is, how are things? Everything all right, especially with a new baby at home? 
Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, everything's great. Me and my my wife um, and our and our daughter went back to Texas here, so we're back home and around some family. And um, things have been good. We're out at the lake um, doing the whole social distancing thing, but uh, we're we're enjoying time with with family and and trying to stay sane here. Uh, Blake, I have to ask you real quick. Sorry, Greg. Um, the decision to go back to Texas was, did you wrestle with that or because of the new baby, did that make travel hard to get there? I mean, what, what was that whole situation like to make that decision to go back home? Yeah, we did. We, we stayed in Tampa for a while, uh, for about a month, um, just kind of waiting it out, seeing what was going on with everything. And, um, obviously trying to stay positive and hopeful that we'd be back on the ice soon. But, uh, once it started becoming a little bit more apparent that, that things weren't going to be uh, moving very quickly. We, you know, we're feeling the, the pressures of just, you know, wanting to get her around her family and, and things like that. So we looked into different stuff, uh, whether it was flying or uh, driving and, and which route to go. And uh, we ultimately ended up driving, um, which, is, you know, with the newborn is, is a little extra stress, but it wasn't that sounds was pretty great for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have a dog that gets car sick too, so I'll throw that one in there. But uh, it was it was good. We only had to stop, you know, a handful of times, made it in one day, and um, you know, it, we weren't sure what the the timeline was when we got here. It would have really sucked if you know things started up a week later and we had to turn around. But um, you know, we've had a little bit of time here now, and and uh, it's been good, and we're we're definitely ready to get back though. That's good stuff. Blake, it's, it's Greg Linnelli. It's good to be with you. And uh, I'm curious, you know, you get traded and I can only imagine, you know, the, the hustle and bustle of, of an athlete being traded midseason, trying to get adjusted to a new team. You obviously want to be playing right now with your teammates and, you know, be in the playoffs. But I, I've got to think, at least on a personal side, have you felt like things settled down a bit? You can take this time to get into a bit of a routine, be with, you know, the newest addition of your family, and when it when it's time to finally suit up and play, whenever that is, that, you know, things maybe you're familiar with your surroundings a bit more. You've gotten used to the city and just life with a a, a baby. Do you feel like from that standpoint, once play does resume, you'll you'll feel a little bit more comfortable moving forward? Yeah, I think, you know, with the chaos of the trade and, um, you know, having the baby two weeks into being, uh, you know, a lightning player and uh, trying to find, scrambling to find a home. Uh, you know, we brought our daughter home to the Marriott for the first week of hmm. her life and um, ended up finding a, just a short-term thing that uh, was supposed to go through the end of the playoffs uh, in June there. Uh, so we're actually about to expire on that. So the chaos is kind of picking back up, but we actually got fortunate that we just found a place. So we're, we're finally feeling like we can settle down there and, um, and just get comfortable. And like you said, it just, you know, it's been chaos, but you know, now we've gotten into routine with, with our daughter and and having a home to go to is is a big step for us. We're really excited about that. And, um, we're going to get back out to Tampa here, um, before June and, and get moved in and get settled. And uh, I think any hockey player would tell you that, you know, it's, it's a lot more comfortable and a lot easier to play when, when your personal life is, is set up and, and in a good, a good place. From the on ice perspective, 
did, did was it hard to find any sort of a rhythm there? Because you, you just mentioned once things settle down on the personal side, they tend to settle down a little bit better on the ice. I, I'd imagine it had to have been hard to find your groove a little bit with everything kind of being upended. And then when it does get back and when you guys do get back to practice and everything, does that really feel like the time you'll start to integrate yourself, maybe solidify yourself with this with this team and, and the new surroundings? Yeah, I think, you know, I certainly don't, I'm not a guy that's ever going to make any excuses and, um, you know, but personally I wasn't, you know, overly happy with, with my first few games there and our first, you know, whatever it's been, eight or nine games it's been, but um, just knowing that, you know, I have another gear that I can get to and, um, you know, I certainly am not putting that on my personal life. I think it's just a combination of things where you're adjusting and, trying to figure out line mates and trying to figure out, you know, everything else on top of that. Um, it was a lot, but it's, it's also been, it's also been pretty easy in the sense that the team's been great. Uh, they've made things very easy on us and helped us out along the way. And, and obviously the guys in the room are, they're an awesome group there. So, um, you know, we were starting to settle in and we were, we were getting to where we wanted to be, but, um, you know, just the whole, obviously this, this time's pretty unprecedented and, Nobody predicts this, so um, yeah, I, I'm using this time to just regroup, recharge. Um, hopefully, we get back up on the ice here sooner rather than later. And and like you said, it's uh, it should be a lot easier to just almost treat this as a as a regular season starting up again and, and being in a rhythm and and uh, being where we want to be. Blake Coleman joins us here on Power Lunch. Greg Lanelli along with Eric Rollinson. You know, Blake, I'm, I'm sure for you this is probably the longest or close to it of, of not being able to skate. I mean, what have you done to, to try and stay in shape? I know some guys have, you know, done the cardio with, with jogging, walking when you can, but, you know, have uh, the rollerblades entered uh, the equation? And are, are you a little, I don't want to say concerned, but intrigued by how long it's going to take to feel like you're in shape once you do come back and start skating? Yeah, I mean, I usually take anywhere from a month to, I mean, two would be usually stretching it for me, but a uh, month or two in the start of summers to, to get off the ice and just be away. But uh, at the same time, I have a very guilty personality, so I can't go more than a couple of days without uh, getting workouts in and being active. And um, so I've been I've been on top of it here. We we actually got a Peloton uh, right before this whole thing. I went down, so it worked out perfectly in that sense, and I've been abusing that machine, but uh, we just find ways to stay busy. Like, you know, um, I hate running, but I go out on on runs and run sprints and do hills and things like that just because it's easy and you don't need much to do it. Um, And unfortunately, both of our families, uh, lake houses out here have gyms uh, set up, so I've been able to do just classes and, and, you know, uh, programs that I've had from the past and, you know, keep working on strength and fitness. I'm just treating it as if it's the summer and, and I'm gearing up for camp. So, um, physically I feel great. I feel like, you know, the biggest step, like you said, is just, I haven't been skating and I'm sure most guys haven't been skating. So, uh, that's something that takes a week or two to, to just feel the timing back and, and feel like you're where you want to be. But, um, you know, as long as you're staying on top of your personal fitness, uh, which I would assume most guys are, uh, then it, it makes it a lot quicker transition than if you were just sitting around. 
Like, what's the optimism level right now amongst the players in terms of maybe getting things started back up? And I know we don't have a timeline yet, but we have some idea of when it could start to alleviate and, and, and take place and maybe get you guys back playing games. Is the optimism level as high as it's been during this whole situation? Or are you still just kind of, well, you know, let me know when it happens? Uh, I'd say it seems kind of like a mixed bag um, from from guys that I keep up with. And, um, you know, some guys are of the mindset that, oh, there's just no way it's going to happen. And there's another camp that's thinking this is going down, you know, starting in two weeks here and we're getting going. So uh, I think it's who you are, who you're around. You know, I think people that have been around bad experiences with the disease or have seen, you know, been in the New York scene or obviously I had teammates in New Jersey uh, where it was just, you know, pure chaos. And and it's just, you know, when you're, when you're not around it, it feels like you're not seeing anything different, you know, at least for us out at, out at the lake, it just seems like life as usual. And I feel like I could start playing hockey tomorrow and nothing would be a big deal. And then obviously you turn on the news and you see all the stuff and then you start to doubt it a little bit. But I think for the most part, uh, the guys in Tampa that I keep up with you know, in the group chat, everybody seems real positive. It seems like everybody's still ready to go and, and go after a cup and, and, and doing what they need to do to be ready to play here and, um, I guess what would be a couple months, it sounds like, in the in the scenarios that I've seen. But um, I think ultimately all we really want is just uh, – all anybody wants is just to to have a date, you know, have a, a date in mind or a, a timeline in mind for <clears throat> when this is going to start moving. And, and that makes training easier. It makes preparing your life easier. Obviously, there's a lot of intangible things that go into to preparing for, for a playoff and – and for a you know, three-month stretch. So I think ultimately, once once the news passes that there's an actual target date in mind, guys are going to start to feel really good about it and, and get moving. Blake Coleman joining us here on the show. You know, Blake, it's been interesting. When play does resume, some uh, topics have been thrown out in terms of you know some hub destinations where maybe there's four or five cities and a bunch of teams would go there and, and play a bunch of games and that's kind of what would happen. Obviously, it's not etched in stone, but it's it's something that's been talked about. We've seen some players come out and, and not like it in, in all sports because they don't want to be away from their families for an extended period of time. We don't know how long that would be, obviously. I'm curious how you feel about that, and is part of you like, you know what, I get it. You know, nobody wants to be away from their family for more than a couple of weeks, but these are unique times. It is our job, and wherever they tell us to play, we've got to we've got to do it. Yeah, I think you know I can only speak for myself, but um, I've kind of gone back and forth on the whole thing. Uh, I definitely understand that it's a business, and and there's you know it's not a small amount of um, money that we're talking about you know saving here, and and it's also. You know, as a competitor, I want to go play for the cup, and I want to do what it takes to win a cup. So, you know, those are those are motivations that I'm sure every player has, and um, you know, and then you just kind of do that. Does it outweigh the being away from your family for a month or two months or three months or whatever it is? And uh, it's tough, obviously. You know, with a newborn baby, I can't even imagine being away for for three months, missing that time, and and not seeing her grow up. So. I definitely understand both sides, and 
I don't know that I have a definitive answer on on my stance on it, but you know, I, I think that um, I think that the league and the players will find a way to to make everybody happy enough. You know, I think whether it's getting families there for you know extended stretches of time or just getting home for a, a weekend or just finding ways to you know to make sure that um, families are are getting. Uh, the attention that they need from from their dads or husbands or, or I guess even boyfriends and that, but uh, but also you know I just I think guys are just competitors and they want to play and they want to they want to be in that environment again and um, you know obviously we'd love to have fans in the stands as it goes on and um, you know that obviously adds to the the intensity of playoffs and that but uh, even if there's not I think the guys know we have a job to do and, and guys will do it. Again, Blake Coleman joins us here on Power Lunch. And, Blake, I want to get back to the car ride from Florida to Texas for a minute. Were there points in that drive where you're like, oh, we made a grave mistake? <laughs> uh, it was, you know what, it, it went about as smooth as I could have hoped. Um, I will say that the stops were pretty painful. They, each stop <laughs> took about an hour, which when I do a car ride, I'm trying to get from A to B as quick as as quick as possible as most people are but uh, you know we did the whole tummy time and the her whole routine and the feedings and the uh, which which it probably worked out because she was fine for you know another three four hour stretch after that but uh, I was I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was impatient but I was just, you know I was definitely trying to push the the, the rest stops to get quicker and somehow they just kept getting slower and slower, but uh, we made it. And she, she did have a blowout with about 40 minutes to go. Uh, which I, I almost just, I almost just drove through the 40 minutes and I was like, should be all right. And my wife's like, pull over. So uh, I lost that battle and we pulled over, but um, that was the only real hiccup, but everything else was, was pretty good. When there's a, uh, a blowout, Blake, you got to stop everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm not on my time anymore. I'm, I've learned I've learned that pretty quick. <laughs> that goes away fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Blake, <clears throat> last question for me. You mentioned, you know, you'd love to have fans in the stands when you come back. I mean, there's a good chance that doesn't happen, and that's really weird, especially if you guys are right in the middle of a playoff spot. Again, it goes back to being professional. You'll play wherever they tell you. But have you kind of thought about that, what it would be like to play with no fans in the stands and maybe even what really the new norm is going to look like once you guys do come back? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to think about. I, I was looking back watching some some old playoff highlights. It almost felt like I was watching like pre-apocalyptic uh, video. <laughs> I was just like, man, I can't imagine – not having fans and fans for games, but I think, you know, we all grew up without it, right? Like I played, you know, youth hockey and we'd go play for a national championship in front of 30 people. And still it was the same intensity and same excitement when you score a goal and same you know, excitement when you, when you win. So I think having your teammates there is enough and, um, you know, while it may not make as as great of a production 
video-wise. I think just the competitive nature of hockey players is, is enough to drive that uh, excitement and, and emotion. And, um, you know, it, it'll be missed uh, if we if we don't have the, the fans in the stands. But I think that um, it'll still be the same brand of hockey and, and guys will still be laying it on the line to, to win because it's just it's ingrained in us. Right, Blake, last question for me here. Um, take us back to March the 12th when all this kind of came down, that 24-hour period. I mean, you, you were already kind of in a chaotic spot with everything that got on with you. What did that add to it, and what were those basically 24 hours or so like from when you know Rudy Gobert was diagnosed and the NBA shut down to when you showed up at the rink the next morning not knowing what was going to go forth? How chaotic was that day-and-a-half period right there? Well, we had uh, we had both of our families down. Me and my wife's families, um, all of our siblings and parents, and uh, they had all come down because it was a three and four weekend. Uh, we were playing New Jersey. Um, the baby had just turned uh, two weeks, maybe, or she was still, you know, brand new. So everybody came down for for a big weekend and was all excited. And um, and I went to the rink for that morning skate on uh, I guess it would have been Thursday and um, just thought it was business as usual. It was just one of the things where I'd seen this virus, you know, when I was, even when I was in Jersey, there was a cruise ship that came in that had it, you know, it was just one of those, oh, it, it won't, you know, it won't affect us. It won't affect us and just life as usual. And that's kind of what I expected even with the, <clears throat> the Rudy Gobert thing. It just seemed so far away. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, meeting gets canceled and then, I start kind of wondering what's going on and then uh, morning skates canceled and then it just snowballed from there. And um, and I didn't really know what to think. It just felt very foreign and everybody was, was kind of confused and wondering what was going to happen next. And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, we did have our families in town. So I had the distraction of just getting to spend time with them and the baby and, um, and just kind of letting it unfold uh, without thinking too much about it. But, um, you know, once once they all left and we were just kind of sitting there with the three of us, it it really kind of started to sink in, and and we were trying to figure out what, what we were going to do and, and what the world is going to look like moving forward here. But um, you know, everybody was was surprised by it, and and I guess blindsided in, in a sense. But I think everybody's finding a way to to cope with it and and just trying to focus on the bright side and, and what's. Uh, coming in the future. Well, Blake, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us and the Lightning fans, and it's glad to hear that you're doing well and your family's doing well, and um, hopefully next time we're talking, it's in the locker room, maybe six feet away, but in the locker room, just get ready for uh, the next game and uh, continue to do well with those blowouts that are going to continue to come. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. You guys have been awesome. Uh, thanks for having me on today. <laughs> thanks, Blake. Take care, man. Hopefully we'll see you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. All right. There he goes. Blake Coleman, who uh, – it's been a whirlwind for him for sure. I think everybody that's been traded, it's it's a little yeah. bit of a whirlwind. Then you factor in the, the newest addition to his family and uh, the league on pause. It's It's been a crazy, I'm sure, few months. It, it has, but but I, I I have to ask you this question, Greg. How many blowouts have you had in the last f- six months? 
<laughs> not you personally. Not you personally. Yeah, well, for me, I, when I came out four wrong. Or five. Uh, I don't know where you're getting out with that one. Um, <laughs> no, no, we don't want to go TMI here. You know, you know what? Uh, it's Friday. Forget about it. At this point, we're we're all we're all in this together. Uh, you know what? Early on, there haven't been many. Uh, Alari is now seven, and I feel like we we haven't had a lot actually. I, I think at the beginning for sure. But you know, once she started to eat some solids, I think that's. When things start changing a bit, but uh, I tell you what's killing me, man. She got up this morning at three thirty. I mean, oh. come on. Did you turn on the Korean baseball league? Come on, I wanted her to fall asleep, not stay up. She would, she would probably wanted to start banging things around. I mean, she was up smiling, and mom and dad are like, "All right, how are we gonna do this? You want to sing to her or or what?" And uh, you know, finally she went down at like four thirty and slept till seven, which was nice, but. Man, those three thirty wake up calls, E, you never get used to those. No, 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 no. And you go to bed at a decent time. I, I would never yeah. go to bed at a decent time. I still don't go to bed at a decent time. So, you uh, might have been going to bed at wake up. I'm not quite that bad. Right. If I let my kids do that, they would probably still be up. But um, yeah, right, you know, right. they don't do that. But, but it is funny. You talk about blowouts. And like, like you remember specific things because we've taken trips to Ohio many many times and yeah. I remember my youngest one time we we had to find the quickest patch of road to pull off on mm -hmm. as quick as we could because the smell was just overwhelming <laughs> it was we we got to pull off the road the, the, we cannot wait we were probably about an hour from our yeah. final destination and we we break that trip up into two days sure. we would stay usually in Tennessee for the night and then drive right on through to uh, northwest Ohio uh, but there were uh, more than a few times, and one I remember specifically, we were like, oh, my God, we have to get out of this car. We have to change this diaper. It's yeah. unbelievable. Uh, so I can imagine what that was like driving from Florida to Texas for Blake there. We did a Florida to Pittsburgh trip when Gianna was a couple weeks old because it was kind of like a family emergency at the time. And, yeah, there was a blowout uh, around where my wife grew up, and, boy, you should have seen Dad try and – find a place to toss the diaper because I was trying to find a dumpster and I see some people walking and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to put it in there because it's their private property. And boy, did dad just put it, you know, right behind the tire? Yeah, I did. And I said, let's go. Come on. So sorry about that. Whoever experienced that bomb, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? These are stories. How can we something tell. so cute put out something so awful? That's what yeah. I always ask myself. I know. I know. <laughs> what are you going to do? This went off the rails quick. Yeah, it did. All right, well, look, that's going to wrap it up for us. Don't have any blowouts this weekend, if you know what I mean. Uh, e, great job, as always, buddy. We had a lot of fun this week. We're going to do it again next week. Maybe we can um, get somebody from that uh, nice rink on that. I think that would be a nice Yeah, we'll uh, work on that over the weekend. Yeah, that might be a nice, interesting angle for our, our audience to listen to. Thanks to Steve Versnick. For everybody that joined us, uh, and Blake Coleman, Kevin Allen, again today, we appreciate it. We'll be with you again on Monday. Don't forget, Saturday... Game two, round two, back in 2016, Lightning and Islanders. We'll have that for you. E will join me throughout the broadcast starting at 7, talking about that series specifically. So we look forward to that. And, and specifically, um, happy Mother's Day weekend to all the mothers Happy Mother's Day. Yes. I knew I was forgetting something. Boy, I can't forget that. Let's not forget Mother's Day. Everybody well, you're thinking about there. what you're going to have to do on Sunday. So I'm thinking of blowouts. Jeez, that's where my head is. <laughs> All right, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks to Steve. And uh, good job as always again. I'm Greg Lanelli. We'll be with you again on Monday. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.